Hey, this is Brian with Mid-City Vineyard Church Teaching Podcast. If you want to learn a little bit more about Mid-City Vineyard, you can check us out online, midcityvineyard.org, Facebook, Mid-City Vineyard Church, and on Instagram, at Mid-City Vineyard. We worship on Saturday nights at 6 o'clock, and would love to have you anytime that you uh, are looking for a place to worship and connect. In the teaching this week, uh, we entitled this, The Corridor. And really, this is a... This, the idea behind this teaching is uh, that we would be people who actually learn how to live in the corridor of life. Because when we're walking down the corridor at any point, at any time, anything can jump out uh, from behind closed doors or from behind pillars. And they can be good things, they can be bad things, but really the goal here is that we would be a people who learn how to navigate through the ups and the downs of life, to be formed, uh, to mature in the ways of the divine and to really be able to find rest and peace in the midst of all of it. So let's head on over to the podcast. Hope you enjoy the corridor. Much peace to you. I'm curious if anyone has ever heard of the American composer John Cage. Anybody? John Cage lived from 1912 to 1992, an American composer who one of his most famous works is a piece on the piano called 433. Now, I would like to have shown you this piece this evening, uh, but I was not able to figure out the internet in this room and I needed to get it off of YouTube. So the illustration is a little bit lacking. However, uh, I want to encourage you uh, to Google, not right now, John Cage 433, 433, later on. In this particular piece, and I believe that he wrote this piece in 1951, if I remember correctly. But John Cage moves out to his piano on stage. And for the first part, he sits down at the piano and he places his hands above the keys. Live audience. Then he moves his left hand down and he raises his right hand. And I don't know the actual timing of the movement, but I, I want to say it was about a minute and a half. And for one minute and 30 seconds, this is the piece. He puts his hand down. And he begins the second part of the movement. He raises his hand. And this is all he does for another minute. And then he puts his hand down. And then for the third part of the movement, he raises his hand. And he finishes out the last two minutes of the movement. Complete silence. It's very fascinating. He was heavily influenced by his Zen Buddhism and, and uh, some of his other meditative and con con uh, contemplative uh, uh, learnings at the time. But the whole point of the movement and the whole point of the piece, and it became very famous, the whole point of the piece was to allow what was taking place in the room to be the symphony, to be the music, to be the score. And his understanding was, uh, as, as mine is and, and where I would like to go with this, is that very rarely do we sit and be still. Very rarely do we listen 
to the music around us. Very rarely do we listen to the conversations and the, the stillness or the quietness behind us. And so in this theater, as John Cage sits at his piano and as everyone is waiting to be wowed and awed and entertained, he allows the inner peace and the inner stillness and the inner quiet to be what speaks to people. Google it. It's, it's fascinating. You, you, you can feel the tension in the room. I mean, just imagine. I, I was actually invited to um, speak at a, at a baccalaureate um, ceremony at a public high school a number of years ago. They asked me to come and speak at the, at, to the seniors. And, and so I got up on stage. And as I began, I, 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 I jumped off of John Cage's idea. And I said, tonight, I want to speak to you about something very important. And then for 63 seconds, I did not have the um, courage to go four minutes and 33 seconds. For the next 63 seconds, I stood at my podium in complete silence. And you could cut the tension in the room with a knife. All of these seniors and all of these faculty members and the poor gentleman that invited me to speak, everyone, eyes, and just like, what has happened? Like, do we, we need to help this poor fella. Similar tension in John Cage's performance. I was not invited back to that school to do another baccalaureate. <laughs> but I told the seniors after their 63 seconds of silence, I told them, I explained to them, I said, we live in a world that is full all the time of analyzing and arguing and posturing and deba debating and conversing. We spend our time as a society going after it 100 miles per hour, but we spend very little time in silence. It's an art, actually. It's an art that's been lost, partly because it's kind of scary. Even today, if you look, uh, if you Google on your phone and you decide to download a, uh, a meditation app or a prayer app or something like that, even in these apps, there's very little silence. There's always some type of white noise in the background. You know, because we need to distract ourselves, we got to have something to focus on. Because when we're silent, that's when what's inside begins to speak. And sometimes we're scared to death of what inside is going to say. But I still think that silence is one of the most beautiful and incredible ways that the Spirit of the Divine speaks to us. Because the Spirit of the Divine can speak to us through us oftentimes. In Psalm chapter 46, verse 10, we've read it twice tonight already. In different translations, it says it different ways. But the primary way you might know it is the passage where, in uh, verse 10, where the psalmist says, So now, be still and know that I am God. He says things like, listen, the waves are crashing upon you. The storm is raging. I think for people who live in Southern Louisiana, we understand storms a bit well. Those who live in Tornado Alley understand this. Those who live where there are earthquakes or right now raging fires can kind of understand. But the psalmist says, in the midst of all that, just be still and recognize that he is God because this is where our strength really does come from. This is where our peace comes from. This is where our hope comes from. 
The chaos, the noise, the busyness, they characterize the world we live in. A world that is filled with tension. There's a very, uh, very fine line, I would suggest, between the thrill of victory and the failure of defeat. There's a very fine line between what could be and what actually is. I think there's a very fine line between what is right and what is wrong. Uh, there's a very fine line between figuring out what is worthy of pursuing and what should be left alone. There's this incredible tension that we live in. I read this story, and I think I've actually told you guys this uh, once before, but I read this story this one time that greatly impacted me, which is why I probably told it to you before. It's about a family, um, uh, uh, a mother and father who go to the hospital, and they walk down the corridor on the maternity floor, and they turn right into uh, a room where their oldest son and his wife have just given birth to the couple's newest grandchild. Beautiful little girl. Wonderful celebration. Six months later, they went to the same hospital, same floor. They walked down that corridor. They turned left this time, almost the room almost directly across from that room six months ago, where their second son and his wife gave birth to a stillborn child. I remember reading this, and the author talks about, on the right, there's new life in this family, and on the left, there was the excruciating pain of loss. And the author was saying, you know, the truth is, is followers of the resurrected Jesus, the key is to learn how to live in the corridor or to live in the hallway. Because when you walk through life, and actually the key would be, this would be key for anyone, whether you're a follower of the resurrected Jesus or not. I guess for the follower of the resurrected Jesus, it would be how do we live, learn to live in that corridor. Because if you think about a corridor, you know, on the right we have the columns, on the left we have some columns and maybe some doors. At any point when you're walking down the corridor, you don't ever know what's going to come out from around a column or come out from behind a closed door. And, you, and, and, and not only do you not know, but we have no control over it either. We like to think we have control. I like to call that the illusion of control. Because control really is an illusion. And you know that only so much as things happen in your life outside of your control. If you've been able to maintain control this long in your life, good for you. But at some point, the blanket, the rug gets pulled out from under you. And you realize, oh, it was just an illusion. But it's in the corridor where we live life. You know, it's in the corridor where on one side of the corridor we celebrate with, with friends who are saying, I do. And the very next day on the other side, we mourn with friends who have just signed their divorce papers. I mean, this is the life we live. This is the world we live in. It's this world we live in where we walk down the corridor and on the right side, a friend of ours has just landed their dream job. And on the left side, a friend of ours has just lost their job. It's this world that we live in where on this side, a friend of ours 
is healed, somehow miraculously healed of some type of terminal disease. And on this side of the corridor, another one of our friends loses their battle to whatever it was. And their life is gone. It's the corridor that we live in. And the question always comes back, well, how do we navigate? And how do we live in the corridor? How do we how do we participate in life and, and allow? I mean, is 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 it? You know, is it is it case sarah Is it oh well whatever will happen will happen? You know, or or is it well everything happens for a reason? And listen, if you are case sarah or, or if you are everything happens for a reason, I don't want to rain on, on that parade. If that's where you live right now, I, kudos to you. For, for me, I can't live there anymore just because of where life has taken me. For me, it's not case or astral. It's not, ah, things don't just roll off of me like that. And for me, I don't. I, I actually, biblically, scripturally, doctrinally speaking, and, and my understanding of the divine, I don't believe everything happens for a reason. I just don't. You know, because then I would have to, I would have to agree that, uh, you know, there are, reason that, that there are reasons that children are born addicted to crack. You know, or there are reasons that, that, that people are, you know, their lives are snuffed out on their honeymoon or, 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 or that children get sick. Or, or I mean, I, you know, I just, I can't go there. I, I just can't. I don't think some people were destined to, be addicts and others weren't and it's just the luck of the draw I just it's my thing you, you don't have to go there if everything happens for a reason is something that works in your life I'm a little bit more of a place now in my life where I want to figure out how do I live in the corridor where things might not always happen for a reason and by the way if I'm wrong about that when this is all said and done I'll be happy about that too Okay, so I always, <laughs> but more importantly than that, how might I and how might we live in the corridor where life does happen, but we are the kind of people who are learning in the midst of life what it is to trust that the divine is good and the divine is true and the divine is beautiful, and the divine desires to be present with us in the spaces of peace and comfort, in the midst of the heartache, in the midst of the triumphs, what would that look like? I would suggest to you that it is so much who God is that God actually became flesh and blood in the person of Jesus to show us that that's exactly what God is like. That God was willing to say, listen, I'm going to take on, I'm going to embody humanity and walk through it also. And be a part of it with you. And kind of navigate it with you. And, and kind of show you along the way. I believe that for thousands of years in the Christian faith, this is the, this is the journey that people have been on. Is, is learning. What does it look like to actually live in the corridor? What does it actually look like to live between the good times and the bad times? This whole life thing, this whole journey is moving somewhere. I, I believe, in, and, and as Christians, we believe that 
that what we understand from the scripture and what we understand from the life of Jesus and the breath of the Holy Spirit is that this whole story, this whole thing is going somewhere. We're going towards redemption. We're going towards be, you know, where all of creation is redeemed and reconciled to God. But we don't seem to be there yet. And we live in a world that is filled with the stuff. So how might we navigate it? And how might we be different in it? How might we actually learn to recognize God in the presence of it, in the middle of it, in the corridor? What this corridor needs is a bench. This corridor right here needs a bench for sitting. One of the most common questions that I get as a pastor is, how do you hear God? Does God speak like, Teresa? <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome, though? <laughs> I would love if God would do that. Brian, go right. <laughs> Take that job. And don't buy that car. I mean, it would be amazing, because life would be all of a sudden so easy. And yet, God has never spoken to me that way. I call that kind of like burning bush kind of stuff. You remember there's a story of Moses in the Old Testament, and it says that Moses was kind of like wandering around one night in this desert place, and all of a sudden he walks over and there's this bush and it's on fire, but the bush isn't burning. And Moses walks over to it, and the bush says, Moses. Take your shoes off because you're standing on holy ground. And Moses is like, oh, this must be a sign. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, good for you, Moses. How does one learn to hear God? Maybe even more importantly, how does one learn to trust God? And I don't think there's a, a magic formula here. Um, but I will say this. I think it is nearly impossible to hear God and therefore be able to trust God when your wheels are always spinning. When you are running down the corridor one million miles per hour. When things jump out at you and you decide to just tough it out and keep kicking and I keep going. That, that seems kind of nice sometimes until the stuff that starts kicking you around actually starts really kicking you around. And we don't take time to sit and reflect and think on it and sit with it and allow God to heal and allow ourselves to experience. You know, experiencing pain is actually a good thing. I mean, nobody likes pain. I'm not saying that pain is good, but experiencing pain, experiencing grief, learning to press into those things so that you cannot be healed of anything until you do those things. And yet most of us never take the time to do it. And when we don't take the time to do it, we are missing out on a lot of the stuff that the divine would so desire to implement and integrate and instill in our lives 
And what we're trying to do is ultimately control our lives by striving, 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 striving. In the book of 1 Kings, let me read this little story to you, and then I'll explain to you how we're going to get there. Let's see. 1 Corinthians chapter 19. Perhaps you've heard this story. And if you have not, welcome to this cool story. It's about this uh, fella by the name of Elijah. He was known in the Old Testament times as a great prophet of God, meaning that he went to kings and he spoke to kings on God's behalf, basically. It says, The angel of the Lord came to Elijah at this one point and said to Elijah, Get up, eat. You have this journey ahead of you and you need strength. So Elijah got up, ate, and drank, strengthened by the food. He traveled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached this particular place called Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into the cave on the side of the mountain and he spent the night. And then Elijah, the angel, said, what are you doing here? And Elijah said, well, I've been really zealous for God. The Israelites rejected God's covenant, tore down all the altars, put all the prophets to death with the sword. I'm, now I'm the only prophet left, and now they're trying to kill me. So the angel said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of God, for the Lord is about to pass by. Elisha probably knew about Moses. Because Moses had lived hundreds and hundreds of years earlier, and he would have heard of the stories. So he's standing on the mountain side, right outside the mouth of the cave. And it says, a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord God was not in the wind. And Elijah went, dang. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord God was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord God was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face. He went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. And then the Lord God spoke to Elijah. So that's kind of the story of my life. <laughs> earthquake, here it is. Because earthquakes, even for all their terror, they're exciting. I mean, there's something, they're awesome, and I don't mean like awesome, I mean like they're awesome. Fires rage and burn. You're like, yes, winds shatter mountains, yes. And yet, God was not in any of it. And as Elijah stood in the quiet, he recognizes what the author describes as a gentle whisper. The key here, though, is that Elijah showed up. Elijah showed up. The angel says, go to the mouth of the cave and wait for the Lord. So Elijah shows up at the mouth of the cave, waiting for the Lord. We're loud, we're obnoxious. We live in a society where more is better, bigger is better, busy is better, faster is better. And that's where we find the tension. Because the pain comes, we build walls. The difficulty arises, we flee. The times get tough, we self-medicate. But God's world is a different kind of world, and God wants to teach us how to live. 
in this world according to the ways of his world, so to speak. See, in God's world, giving is better than getting. Forgiving is better than resenting. Listening is better than giving advice. Speaking a kind word is better than slander. To do what is right is better than doing nothing. Slow is better than busy. To love is better than anything. And in God's world, to trust is better than control. In God's world, to trust is better than being in control. Because to trust says, okay, God, I give my life to you. And in this, though I don't understand A or B or C, my trust lies in the fact that you are passionate about me, that you love me. And though the waves may roar and crash over me, and though the mountains may fall into the heart of the sea, you're still God. You're still taking all of creation in a positive direction. You're still with me, present in the middle of the stuff. And even if I were to lose everything, literally, even if I was to lose my life, if I were to recognize and know that you're still with me, even in that, then I trust that that is better than anything else that life has to offer. Now that's a, that's a, that's a pretty tall, tall order. But I sometimes wonder, well, I don't really wonder because I've tried the alternative. Take it into my own hands, form it, shape it, mold it, make it. I wonder in our lives what it might look like to be still and to know that he is God. And, I, you know, I was trying to think today. I was like, what, how might this look in our lives? Because we do live these crazy, chaotic, busy, frantic lives. I've told you this before, but in our society, what you been up to? Ah, oh, I've just been busy. <laughs> because if we were to say, well, nothing really, people would say, well, what's wrong with you? <laughs> you, uh, you know what? Yeah. Because that's not the value. Now, I'm not saying everybody go out and be slothful and just kind of lay on a leg. But what would it look like to be still? And to allow ourselves, even in the midst of all the chaos, to know that he is God. I know tonight in our community of faith here, I mean, that, you know, there's, there's loss. Even this week, I know of loss. Even this week, I know of high, high, high anxiety and, and, and stress about finances jobs and loved ones and all the, all this stuff and it's like it's the real stuff I mean it's the stuff that life's made up of it's there's nothing you know and being still is not going to necessarily fix the situation but I would suggest that potentially being still will begin to fix our hearts because it gives us the divine one to move towards it's in this space that we can find we can allow ourselves to grieve we can we can Express ourselves. And by the way, don't ever be afraid to express yourself like this either. 
to God if that's what it comes to. Because in my opinion, God seems large enough to be able to handle that. What would it look like to stop maybe multiple times throughout your day and just to breathe in and recognize when I breathe in, I'm breathing in the life of the divine, the spirit of God. What would it look like to take a break from your day and go for a walk and take your earbuds out and allow yourself to be still? What would it be like to sit in a quiet or to rest your eyes and take a nap in your truck during your lunch break? Now, that's not spiritual. Come on, give us spiritual stuff. Sometimes I think that a nap is the most spiritual thing you can do. I'm not kidding. <laughs> what would it be like to sit and drink your coffee in the morning for, this, for, no, for no other reason for the sake of enjoying your coffee? Actually tasting your coffee. Actually experiencing your coffee. Smelling it, allowing the, the cup to warm your hands, allowing the aroma to, to fill your senses, allowing your taste buds to experience your coffee, all knowing that the divine is present with you here in this space and in this place. And maybe this morning, this is where God speaks. Maybe this morning, this is where your heart begins to be healed. Maybe this morning, this is where direction begins to come. Maybe this morning, that's where the passion for whatever that has lied dormant in your heart comes flamed again because the spirit of the divine is present and you're taking time to be still and to know that God is God. Stuff doesn't usually happen on the fly. Usually. Sometimes it does. But not, not usually.